Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guests are Ben Stiller and Dan Erickson, here to talk about Severance. If you haven't seen it, Severance is an Apple TV Plus series about a group of office workers for a mysterious company called Lumen. As part of a bizarre security protocol, they agree to separate their work and home lives completely so they can't remember home at work or work at home. They keep things so separate that they can't even recognize coworkers outside of work. Erickson wrote Severance as a spec script and a writing sample, hoping to get TV writing jobs after a series of unsatisfying office jobs, some TV work, including at Spike TV, and even delivering for Postmates. When the Severance script reached Stiller's production company, Red Hour Films, Stiller thought that instead of just being a writing sample, it should be a show. It's already been renewed for season two. These two men are both executive producers. Dan Erickson is the creator, and Stiller directs most of the season one episodes. If you enjoyed this interview, please share it, review us, or visit us anytime at moviemaker.com. And if you happen to be in Nantucket the weekend of June 25th, Stiller and Turturro will be there at the Nantucket Film Festival talking about this terrific series. Or you can just listen to this great talk with Ben Stiller and Dan Erickson beginning in about 10 seconds. I started with a question about a great man named Keir Egan. I've tried to listen to and read everything you guys have, as much as I could about what you guys have said already to try to not ask the same questions, <laughs> which may right. sound like the start of a bit or something, but <laughs> not, I'm going to try not to get too weird um, while also being sort of original. So right. that's well, challenging. That's challenging because there've been a lot yeah. of questions have been asked about things you would think that they, you know, questions would be about. Hard needle to thread. Right. <laughs> Well, if these are very dopey, feel free to just say what else you got. Don't feel like you, need, you know. More. Next. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, um, Kier Egan, the amazing family behind Lumen, describes the four tempers in every person as woe, frolic, dread, and malice. And I was wondering, what percentage of each temper do you think has gone into this show? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I mean, I mean, there was definitely a lot of woe. I mean, we shot during the pandemic. So I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we all felt our share of woe during that time. Um, I don't know. We brought the frolic. Like, I, 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 I think that uh, we, we, we tried to make it as fun as we could. Um, I'm going to say, I, I, Ben, I don't know if you agree. I feel like Malice is the least because it's a very dark show, but I think it's actually a very kind and human show underneath all of that. So I would like to think that we're maybe like 10% Malice and then the, the, the remaining 90 would be 30-30-30. I think I did, I did that math right. Wow, you're much better at math than I am. <laughs> I can't, I don't even remember the question. I think it was... Uh, I mean, there was a lot of dread is one of the tempers, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the dread percentage really was at the, was after we were finished. Hmm. Once we'd been in this long process of making it because it was, you know, really a multi-year process. Um, the dread being then like, oh, is anybody going to watch it what are people going to think are they going to like it because you know you don't think about that when you're doing it um 
So that was the only time there was any dread, I think, was like, oh, at the very end, it was like, oh, gosh, okay, now, you know, now people have to, like, look at this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the woe, woe and frolic are kind of, I think, uh, and malice are kind of equally uh, spread through there, because I think those are the, you know, the different um, emotions and feelings and um the vibe of the show has, you know, I think it goes between those and uh, there are moments of each. And I think uh, that balance of the humor and which I look at as frolic of the humor and uh, fun, you know, it was fun for us to experiment and not have a sense of what it was supposed to be necessarily, not knowing what it was supposed to be. Hmm because uh, there was no real template yet. So, you know, that was fun to uh, kind of go, oh, we could try this, or we could try that. And then, you know, the frolic and the woe and the sadness and the, the menace of, you know, when I think of like sort of the outside influences on the uh, MDR people, you know, kind of not knowing what's out there was always an important part of the show too. Uh, but uh, it was a fun process of playing with all those the whole time. This started off, well, I know this started off well before it got on the blood list because, you know, writing a script like this, it went through a lot of different iterations and a lot of hard work, but the version of the blood list that is the one that I guess caught the attention of Red Hour um, seems like it has a little less frolic. It's definitely has a lot of absurdist elements. It's almost a waiting for Godot Kafkaesque situation. Um, but I feel like some of the more, the stuff that if you explain it to a third party, they would laugh was added at some point. How did you find that balance? And did you ever have to pull back and go, this has gotten too funny? I'm, I'm thinking, for example, I told my wife about waffle parties and she's worked in some very corporate jobs and waffle parties just rang like way too true to her. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Um, I remember I was pushing, I feel like I was pushing for the waffle party, uh, the seeing the waffle party. Wasn't I, Dan? I feel like I was. I, I think, I think so. At some point we like, I think we had come up with the idea in the room, but it was like, it was like, okay, that's, but we probably won't really do that. And then we, you know, at some point you and I talked about it and I think that the more we talked about it, the more we realized it did kind of make perfect sense within the world of this. And, you know, we didn't want to do anything that was just crazy or provocative for the sake of getting attention. But, you know, this, this did seem like the way that Lumen would handle, you know, this kind of thing and, and, and the way that they would sort of commodify this weird sexual experience and make it all about the company. It, it, it ended up feeling, I think, too true to, to, to not put on screen. So, but yeah, that was a conversation. I, I think though with the tone, I mean, that was a constantly weaving thing. I mean, there, there were, there were things that we would discuss that would be like, okay, that's, you know, to Ben's point, we're, we're creating a, a new tone that, that we hadn't seen before. So we had to sort of figure it out as we went, like what was too far, far right. And what was that sweet spot? Yeah, I don't think we knew, honestly, as we were doing it. We just were taking uh, chances and, and maybe sometimes, you know, bracketing uh, 
things and saying, let's go this way and let's go that way. Try both and see, and then, you know, see how it comes together when we're putting it together in the edit. Um, but that was what was always in Dan's script for me was that what I loved about it was it just it, it invited this sort of, um, you know, question of what, 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 what is this world? What is, you know, what, what's accepted? What isn't accepted? What, what, you know, can we put out there that people will kind of feel off balance, but still be engaged with? And I think that's just, you know, has always been there from the beginning and maybe the balance of it was different in earlier drafts, but, and maybe, you know, from the process of when Dan brought it to us and we started talking about it and we talked about it a lot over a long period of time, because there was a period of time when Dan was developing scripts and we, you know, had, uh, had the writer's room. And then uh, we were talking about different ways that it could go. And this sort of these endless ideas that Dan has, has and had, um, you know, for this world, very specific. Um, so, you know, it was probably just a process of, of, you know, it could have gone a lot of different ways, but I think Dan, you know, always sort of, you know, Dan's voice is very specific and it's very um, unique. And that's for me, what I loved about it from the beginning was sort of digging into that. And then I would just respond personally to like what I liked in that. And I think Dan, I probably, I know I'm curious, I'm probably from your point of view, but like, I would just say like, Oh, I really love this. Yeah. And we like explore this some more and maybe somebody else might've said, I really love that. Let's explore that some more. Yeah. I, I, I mean, to me is where sort of the alchemy happened where it was like, yeah, I, I would sort of throw out a lot of ideas. Um, and, and then, you know, Ben, I, I just remember the first time that we talked about it being really thrown, but, you know, I had talked to a lot of different people about the show, but Ben, I just feel like immediately had sort of clicked in, like whatever, what, whatever weird idiosyncratic thing it, it is that, that other people are now seeing in this show. It's like Ben saw it there in the script. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be seen in that way. Um, and, and it's nice to, it, it, you know, felt sort of, uh, it was like, okay, maybe there really is something here. And so it was then a matter of, yeah, sort of talking through it with Ben and, and, you know, trusting Ben's instincts on, on some of the broader stroke stuff of just like, okay, what's the, what's the best sort of way to sort of guide this and funnel it and turn it into something that, you know, still has its soul, but also works as a, works as a, as a really cool, big narrative TV show. Um, and, and yeah, I do think it was something that we just found between us, like, and of course there were many, many other people that we were collaborating with, um, but it was something that we just sort of, again, there was no template. So we just kind of had to, had to uh, play some jazz and find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's kind of a, a narrative around the show that this is the first thing that you've had produced um, that you suddenly became a showrunner, like this super deserving guy wrote this great thing and Ben Stiller found it and it got on the air and that's a miracle. And these things finally, these, these good things do happen once in a while. Um, but I also think that kind of short changes that you were working at Postmates, you worked in like a door factory, you worked a lot of industry jobs that were not your ideal industry job um, to get to this point. And the other thing that strikes me is this is not one of those scripts that's like grab them by the lapels on the first page. Ben Stiller is really busy and he's gonna 
read this and be immediately pulled in, this really makes you think and try to figure out what's going on. So what I wanted to ask is, <laughs> there's a question, I promise. Did you doubt yourself as you wrote this sort of patient existentialist piece? Um, is this too ambitious? And Ben, what kept you reading? Well, first of all, I'm not that busy. I actually have more time on my hands than people might think. I mean, I'm, you know, as someone who, you know, is a filmmaker, director, I, you know, I write also, but I really, you know, for me, you know, I love as a director finding a piece of material that I can engage with. Like it's, that, that doesn't come along that often. So I think, uh, honestly, you know, I was, hungry for something great to engage with and and so when this script was recommended to me and you know at our company and uh jackie cone nikki weinstock at our company you know, went everybody was reading going, this, this is really good i was excited to read it you know and i don't know for me i was engaged from the beginning because it was the writing was so intriguing and um the world was you know just right off the bat Dan's dialogue and, and the, the rhythm of it. Um, so, you know, that, that for me was like, oh, okay, this is actually something really, really good and really different. And uh, it was a while back. I mean, and these things take a long time. And at that point, it was just reading it and going, yeah, this is really good. Can we meet? And can we talk about it? And it's just that then the process begins. And that was when really when the, the on our, you know, at this part of the process, the work began. I mean, Dan had did all the work ahead of time, and but then there was so much more, you know, work and steps that go along the way to actually getting something to the point where it's actually even going to be have a chance to be produced. Yeah. So it's a long process, but right off the bat, reading it, I was like, oh, this stood out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, very definitely a long process, you know, uh, uh, from the beginning, and I, I. I think I sort of like to lean into this overnight success narrative because it's more exciting and, and kind of more fun uh, than, than the, the way that it actually panned out, which, which was, I mean, you, you know, obviously uh, you, you know, I, I did sort of go from, from zero to 60 in terms of, of working on this. And this year I was driving for Postmates when, you know, when we actually got it going. Um, but you know, there had also been, you know, I had worked at a bunch of different places. I had done development. Um, you know, I had, I had done written and produced online content for various places. So, you know, I, I think that that story of like, oh, the, you know, the, the, the kid who suddenly, suddenly is in this new world, you know, it's always a little bit more complicated than that. Um, but I will say, I mean, you know, once, once uh, this, once I had this conversation with Ben and we started working on it, it, it was very much like, you know, we, we were never sure. I mean, you're never sure what's going to work. And, and, and I was trying to not sort of uh, be presumptuous about like, okay, this is my life now. But at the same time, there was this sort of immediate sense of renewed purpose where it was like, you know, cause I, I had been, I had been, I think 35 or 36, which is not very old. It, except that if you if you haven't achieved really any success in your field by that point, I think you do start to wonder a little bit. And I was starting to wonder quite a bit. And so when this when this actually happened and started going, I was like, okay, well, this is this is exciting, and this and this makes me feel like I've been in the right place this whole time. 
I know Kurt Vonnegut has come up as an influence, but how much did you both think about Kurt Vonnegut, you know, working for GE in 1947 or whatever it was, dreaming of being a great sci-fi writer, but having this kind of boring corporate job? I, th I think I knew about that. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Wow. <laughs> I think I read that at some point. No, but but yeah, that had I had actually forgotten that element. So that that's cool. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I never thought about, you know, it's funny. I never thought about Vonnegut uh, consciously, but now you say it, because I, for me, you know, when I was younger reading books like Cat's Cradle, really, that really influenced me. I was a big Kurt Vonnegut fan when I was a kid or as a teenager. Um, I wrote in an elevator with Kurt Vonnegut when I was a teenager once. And then I wrote him a letter and I wrote him a letter, fan letter saying I had the honor of writing in an elevator with you. And I just wanted to say I'm a huge fan. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, that I think, you know, there, there's a, a tonal thing that is there. But, but, but so yeah, so I never really thought about it consciously. But, uh, you know, there, there are themes and ideas and that, that uh, Dan hits on that are so, um, you know, below the surface that, uh, you know, that's what's great about his writing for me is that it kind of hits people in different levels and, and there are references and things that you, you know, visually and liter uh, literature references and, and um, just ideas that are there that I think are very, very uh, original, but also really connect to a lot of themes that we're all, uh, that we all are familiar with too. Why did you decide to change it from starting off with, and I hope I'm not spoiling a six-year-old bloodless script um but it started off with mark on the table and mark being brought in and seeing how he got into the company and then you changed it brilliantly to heli's perspective uh, not her perspective so much but she's sort of the first person we meet and she's the one we start to sympathize with at the very beginning um why that change which seems really crucial and important i think that i i, I think part of it was um we wanted, uh, we knew that we were going to be following Mark on both sides of the of the severance barrier, that he was the character in season one that we were going to be sort of following between the two worlds. And with that in mind, I think we thought it would be better for him to have sort of an established history of some kind at work. You know, we're not, we can sort of get a sense on both sides of who he is and what his routine is and how it's different. Um, as opposed to like on one side, he has an existing routine and on, on the other side, he's this brand new person. Um, and then the other part of it was just uh, once we sort of started talking about that, Heli became kind of the obvious choice for the disruptor, for the person who comes in and, you know, is is literally raising hell and or, or figuratively, I guess, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and is uh, just upending this this sort of weird pre-existing uh pattern that everybody's in um she you know she sort of is the character that that even in that early draft you know she was there and she was helping mark get acclimated but she was still had her sort of sardonic um you know calling everybody out calling everything out sort of brutal on it brutally honest way about her and so having that be the character that comes in and sort of blows up the formula made a lot of sense yeah. I also love the bloodless role in this. And I don't know if that's overstating, if it's overstating things to say that that's what got this to Red Hour. Um, so what what did get this to Red Hour? Was it winning the contest? Was it placing on the bloodless? Was it something else? 
I honestly, I don't, I didn't know that. And uh, it's, it's possible. Um, I know that Jackie Cohn, who, who was our creative executive, read it. And uh, Dan, do you know even? You know how? Was, I him? mean, it was shortly after the blood list, but I've known Jackie before. Like I had met Jackie before. And uh, so it was around the same time. So I think it, I think it may have made a difference um, um, just in getting the wheels turning, but yeah, I mean, Jackie, I had had a pre-existing, you know, and I knew each other from before that. And so it sort of became this, like, you know, she called me and was like, Hey, I think that there might be, there might be something here that we could do. But it was coming in as a, it was definitely known as a, it was a sample, right? As yeah. A writing sample. I, would, I always yeah. have that thing with writing samples too. When I read them, uh, when people send them, I'm like, Oh, this is really good. Why, why isn't anybody doing this? You know, when it's like a good sample, if it's good enough to be a sample, why? Why is it something? If I if if I, it's something I respond to, I have that response a lot on on things that are good, you know, that are just samples. And usually it's like, well, somebody else is making it, or you know, there's some reason. So when I read this, I had that response, and then it was like, why is anybody making this? It was like, well, uh, you know, it, nobody's making it, but if you're interested, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that was, I feel like I had sort of resigned myself to having a really cool sample that I was really happy with. And I was sort of like, you know, if this gets me staffed on something, if it's, this jump starts my career, that would be great. But I, I, part of me deep down hoped that somebody would actually make it, but it wasn't until I was like really in that room with Ben having that conversation that I even started to think of that as a legitimate possibility. Yeah. When did it, shift for you when did you realize my life has changed this thing is really happening because you worked with those two executives mentioned earlier nikki and jackie um for a while to develop this right i mean when did it start to feel like this could really happen i mean it was it was a lot of this for me a lot of um it, it would start to feel really real and then i would i would get in my head and i'd be like oh i don't know this this is too good to be true sort of thing um, I mean, when Apple came on board, it certainly started to feel more like, like, you know, this, this thing had a shape and we had sort of a, a direction. Um, you know, I, I had my worries when, when the pandemic hit because we, we hadn't started shooting yet. And I, you know, I don't really know how these things work. I was very new to this. So part of me was like, is this, is the universe isn't going to let us make this show, is it, you know? And, um, uh, but, you know, it was it was just something that that the, the people uh, around me, you know, Ben included, who who had done this a lot before sort of were like, OK, well, these things happen and you you pivot and you improvise and, and you figure it out. And so I felt like I was in good hands. There were a lot of ups and downs over the was it four years, really? Yeah. Three yeah. years of real till we actually even got to shooting it. I think it was I'd say it was four Four years, yeah. I mean, there was a, it because it, 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 first of all, when Apple uh, bought it, at that time, I didn't even know, like, Apple was like, I knew Apple was a, you know, Apple, but I didn't know, they weren't like a real thing at that point. They were like, it's like, oh, Apple wants to be a streaming service now, too. Like, okay, and, and they're buying stuff, and they're like, okay, um, but they hadn't, you know, they didn't exist yet. So there was a little bit of that. It's like this new, because there have been companies like that in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years that have emerged. I mean, obviously Apple's a pretty big company, but, you know, 
new studios and you know places that, that, that say okay we want to you know and then they go away i mean we just literally just saw the cnn plus just like boom they're gone it's like that kind of a world so at that point they were they weren't you know they were a couple of years away probably from launching so there was that feeling to it like okay but they're going to you know they want to do a writer's room they want to get this going and then for me my my involvement was okay you know we met with Dan. It was like, oh, this great, exciting thing. And they're going to start to work on the season. Then I kind of went away to work on, I think at that point I went to work on an escape at Danamora. And really it was around when I think we were in editing on that, where Dan and I, and, you know, got together and we were looking at the direction of the season and, you know, had some thoughts and, and, and made some changes in terms of the direction of the season. Look, and we started to, it, it, casting became a thing when, and when Adam Scott, came on board and when that was locked in then we got i know i remember dan came to new york and we, we really you know said okay we're i think we're really gonna do this and let's really dig in and then that then went to a different level yeah i'm, I'm sorry to ask this goofy question that i'm sure everybody asks you but i have to ask too in case the answer has updated um the main characters have this job arranging numbers there's all sorts of theories about what they're arranging on the show and off the show on Reddit, wherever else. Um, but it serves the function of having just a very Kafka-esque job that feels um, brain-numbing. Did you ever think about a different job that they could do? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were. There were other jobs. Um, they were mostly some iteration of uh, some sort of... Uh, inscrutable weird numbers or something data that we don't understand fully. I remember Ben, that was something you were really into. I think at one point we started to discuss another option where they were doing something more recognizable. Um, and, and, and I remember, you know, Ben and, and I felt the same way. It was like, ultimately it just feels so, it feels truer to life th that it'd be something like this. It feels truer to the experience of working at a place and not, not having all the context even for what you're doing, but it's just like focus on your piece and you know the the the, the part where you're a cog. You know, just just think about that and don't worry about what it all means. So I think ultimately it was always you know something like that. Yeah, which is very much like that sort of like office space you know, TPS reports or whatever kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah, you know, like what are they? We don't know. Just you know, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I just find it so incredibly funny. And as you go, as you go, I know you have like possibly up to six seasons in mind, um, or I think I've seen elsewhere that you have at least six seasons in mind. If you get, if you get six seasons, which I, the way things are going, um, looks good. Um, does it matter what Lumen does? I mean, I know we're all trying to figure out, is it clones? Is it this, is it that? Is it important to the show? I remember talking to the Walking Dead showrunners at one point and they didn't really care how the zombies were created. I thought, I thought the show was building to now they'll reveal where zombies are from. And they're like, that's not what the show's really about at all. Right. I, uh, I think it, it's a really interesting question. I think it matters in that. Um, well, I, I, I will say for one thing, like we do have a, an answer in mind for it. And it's something that we sort of try to weave exactly into what's already there in the show where it's sort of like 
you know, the, the themes and stuff that are being explored in, in the very first episode on a personal level, how do you take that and expand it to a macro level where it feels like the show is all about one thing? Mm. Um, so thematically, because we approached it like that, I think it does matter. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, you, you're, you're sort of right. I, I, I think at the end of the day, nobody, you know, whenever we do finish this show 18 years from now, you know, and we've had our underwater season and our space season, you know, uh, I, I, I think that people are going to remember the characters. They're going to remember the four the our, you know, our characters sitting in a, in a cubicle together and, and talking and trying to figure stuff out. I don't think people are going to be talking about, Oh, that big twist of what the company was doing. Um, I think it's, you can make it important and resonant, but I don't think it's the main thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think uh, ultimately, I mean, that even like within a season, you learn that, that people get engaged with people and with characters and you grow attached to characters. If you're doing the job the right way, that's what happens is people care, start to care about the characters and you want that um, in a world that's kind of uh, cold and, uh, where there are a lot of questions and it's not necessarily just, uh, you know, human interaction doesn't necessarily seem like it's the main thing in the show. It actually is. And that's what I've always liked about the show too, is that it sort of allowed for this sort of stark kind of stage for just these people to, to people to be people and, uh, and, and interact with each other. And then for you to, you know, hopefully feel something for them that will help you, feel something in your own life and all that reason we watch stuff and um you know and read and and see art and experience art so on that level i do think though you know a lot of thought has gone into everything in the show because that's how dan has approached it and and hopefully that's that's the fun thing about the show is that there's a lot of different things going on that you know that are are part of what the show is about yeah the show is so different do you find that there's anything about filmmaking or storytelling, cinematic TV, um, that everybody sort of takes as a rule that you've just found not to be true at all? Is there anything that everyone says you absolutely have to do that you just didn't do this time out or generally don't do and don't worry about? Hmm. I mean, I know. well, somebody, somebody who makes television who was watching the show said to me that he thought it was really interesting that we, the first season posed so many questions. There were a lot of questions without answers. And he said, you don't usually do that. <laughs> He's a more experienced television producer, writer than I am. Um, and, you know, I think, I feel like if, you know, and, and I did notice, you know, in the reaction to the show, this incredible uh, sort of sense of like, you know, from the audience of like, you know, please don't screw us over. Please know what you're doing. Please don't take us on a ride for no reason uh, because we're enjoying the ride, but we don't want to be left at the altar or left, you know, kind of feeling like our, it was, you know, you guys didn't know what you were doing. And uh, so I feel like if you have the confidence to say, okay, we do know what we want to say and, and do have answers to these questions, then you couldn't, you know, trust that it's okay maybe not to have to, do the traditional sort of, you know, answering of questions or 
non-traditional, not answering questions, whatever it is, or traditional non-answering questions and shows that haven't answered questions. Like we could just make our own thing and say, you know, trust that we're going to, we're going to satisfy the audience in a way we think, you know, works. And, but that comes from basically just as an being your own audience and saying, okay, how do I feel about this? What do I want to see? So in terms of like that, I feel like we've sort of tried to trust in that and say, we're just going to do our own thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, but in terms of other things that, you know, that are rule, I don't know. I feel like there aren't that many rules now in television, which is kind of wonderful, mm-hmm. you know, that especially genre wise, that things don't have to fall into a specific genre they, and people are enjoying that as audiences, not knowing what something is going to be and being surprised by it and being engaged. And, you know, that's why I kind of, you know, sitcoms have always been like the easiest thing to satirize or to parody you know what I mean because it's such a specific world where you know this is the rhythm of it this is going to happen you know and um this I think kind of television and really a lot of what's going on in television now is saying like that doesn't you know this is the not that we can just do as long as it's you know good and true to itself can be whatever it is when I listened to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade, when Ben was a guest, very good episode, but they really went all in on how many franchises and huge hits you had. And I guess I always knew that, but there's something like un- understated about you where I, I was never like, this guy's been in like millions of wildly, wildly successful movies. Is it safe to say that those movies, that the franchises and sequels enable you to do things like this? Because you see people griping about, oh no, another sequel, not necessarily about you, but in general. Um, why doesn't Hollywood do anything original? Well, you've kind of taken those wins and used it to produce something that is totally original. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about it like that. I mean, I think, you know, because, you know, when you're sort of living your life and just doing your career you're just doing your you kind of like you're always just thinking okay what's the next thing that I want to do that's going to be engaging I think my point of view in terms of what I want to be doing has become more about wanting to do and make things that I I really like not not that I didn't want to do those sequels or do those you know those movies and like what what a you know fun great uh, experience to have had doing all that stuff. And I still love movies, but, you know, for the, the opportunity to do something that you really want to see, I mean, and maybe that's what that's afforded that kind of, you know, whatever that past, uh, track record is or whatever that allows, you know, me to have a production company that would get a script in by Dan Erickson that I would like, and then go, you know, Hey, can we make this show? And because, there's some sort of track record there that they go, okay, yeah, we'll give that a shot. You know what I mean? That, so on that level, yes, I think it does allow that. And for me, it's just my personal, you know, it's like at this point in my life, you know, cause I have, you know, been around for a while um, to have the luxury of being able to make choices and saying, I just want to do this because this is what's really interesting to me. Um, I really appreciate that. And I think maybe it does relate to all that. And I, you know, I'm not, not cognizant of that and I'm really grateful for it, but it's really great to be at a point where I can just go like, I just want to focus on the things that I really, really want to see and really want to be a part of. 
that's all I got. I just think it's incredibly cool. I wish, I wish you saw it more. I mean, you want, we want like the Marvel universe movie to pay for like an independent, cool. Yeah. Not well, that, yeah, no. And by, by the way, I, I'm like, I feel the same way when you find something that's an original idea that operates in a world where there are a lot of, you know, spinoffs and sequels and, and, you know, oh, to find a, a, a rig, a, something original that you can start from scratch, uh, is pretty unique. And so, you know, I think that's, that's, what's been fun about this is to have that opportunity and, and uh, we've been really enjoying it and loving doing it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel, I feel very happy that my success on the lip sync battle YouTube pre-show uh, managed to give me the creative freedom, <laughs> you know, to step in and do something that I really liked. <laughs> It carries more weight than you would think in show business. It does. It does. You don't mess with the pre-show. 